Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. This podcast is presented by the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma and funded by the Oklahoma State Department of Health. For those who don't know, the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma strives to improve the lives of Oklahomans with autism across the lifespan. Before we jump in, I would just like to say that this podcast will discuss autism, suicide, mental health and wellness, among other topics, with autistic individuals and different professionals, with the goal of unmasking stereotypes, increasing awareness, advocating for mental health and wellness, and attempting to shatter the stigmas of these topics through conversation and personal experience. Hi, and welcome back to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett, and we have a very special guest for you today, Ms. Sheila Williams. So uh, thank you for tuning in, and we're just going to jump right in. Uh, Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, Would you mind kind of just uh, introducing yourself for everybody and giving a little background on who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, So like you said, Sheila Williams, I'm a licensed professional counselor and supervisor, Um, I just recently kind of took the plunge to go full-time. I've been working with tribal communities and suicide prevention for the last seven years and just fell in love with the communities and uh, the work and the people. Um, So I I feel like I'm saying I'm taking my passion for suicide prevention with me as I continue to do mental health counseling um, for all populations. Um, I'm an adjunct professor at Southern Nazarene University. Um, so I really enjoy that, working with you and young adults and adults and teaching them about crisis intervention, um, which a lot of us as clinicians, we don't often get. Um, and so it's also why my passion for suicide prevention was fueled because of the lack of sometimes the training that we get as clinicians. Um, so I like to share that. I like to share those, those lessons learned and the things that we, we know about crisis and suicide uh, prevention uh, with colleagues as well. Okay. Um, and then I'm a full-time mom of three and just like to you know, kind of do lots, lots of self-care when I'm not doing uh, my work, yes. uh, my gifts, I guess, I guess you could say. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, self-care is obviously very important for your yes. mental health. Um, yeah. Let's talk, before we jump into the questions, so you just said crisis intervention training. Mm-hmm. You don't really get that. So is that something that, like, professionals need to seek out for themselves to obtain? Yes, Okay. definitely. So as clinicians, we often lack crisis intervention training. Like right now for usually a master's program, it's an, it's an elective. Um, and so it's not one of the necessary required courses that we need to take. So the few hours we get in a master's program is not sufficient or adequate um, to be able to really sit across people and feel equipped when there's a crisis or feel equipped when they have a suicidal plan. So we definitely need to pursue additional training. And so that's what I love to provide training for clinicians and consult and staff with them. And we basically learn and sharpen each other um, because that's also part of the training. Um, I always encourage us to um, seek out multicultural counseling um, as well, just training, any type of knowledge, because we never know who's going to be sitting across from us. So even that adds more tools to our tool belt. Okay, yeah. great. Um, okay, and that, I feel like that leads us right into our first <laughs> question, which uh, I did not memorize because it is very long. Um, worldpopulationreview.com reports that 520,000 Oklahomans are Native American, and 
to and relative to the general population, according to the National Institute of Health, Native Americans bear a disproportionate burden of suicide-rated mortality rates. Native American males and females aged 15 to 24 years old experience suicide rates nearly three times than the U.S. all-races rates in this age group. Additionally, the CDC reports that suicide rates among American Indian persons increased by 20% from 2015 to 2020. That said, this podcast is for Oklahomans, and since we're focused on suicide prevention, awareness, and mental health, we're going to take a closer look at that topic today. So, uh, Sheila, can you share with us your professional knowledge on why suicide rates among Native Americans are high, and then kind of dive into the work and research that you do? Okay. And, and my thoughts and my experiences are not the end-all, be-all, because there's so many factors. Of course. Um, but even as a clinician, just part of my practice, part of the way I do counseling is I kind of go to the root of things. Where did things start? Um, so I don't feel it, we can talk about suicide prevention in tribal communities without going back to the root of colonization and genocide, of historical and generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where things started. Um, and when we talk about genocide, it wasn't just removal of people from their land, um, but it was also a disconnect and removal from cultural knowledge, from cultural traditions, um, from language, from even being able to have your own name. Um, and so there were so many things that were cut off and removed from indigenous people that they weren't allowed to, to celebrate and to uh, own anymore. And so a lot of that was lost. And then in current times, what I see working in suicide prevention in tribal communities and even as a clinician is there are still disproportionate things that are happening in society, especially in black and brown communities, from systemic racism and oppression um, to lack of quality health care services or lack of access to quality health care and mental health services, especially in rural communities where a lot of tribal populations reside, mm-hmm. um, which is also where a lot of suicide rates are higher. Um, and then when we look at our youth and young adults, um, they're also being marginalized Um, There was a day at the state capitol this year where we advocated for Suicide Prevention Day. So we go there and we advocate, we talk to legislators. But that same day, there were 27 bills that targeted our youth and LGBTQ community um, that were not things that were going to um, fairly provide resources and services. More, It was more discriminatory and biased um, bills that are going to make them feel more marginalized. So there's lack of a lot of supportive resources. Um, A lot of um, substances and things have been introduced. Also, that was part of colonization. Alcohol was first introduced by uh, colonizers. Okay. And so part of those things started a long time ago where traditional practice, there was nothing negative about them. There was nothing that was going to harm a whole people. And so a lot of those things have been continued with each generation. And so that's where suicide prevention efforts really try to kind of meet those needs where they're at, where we go and we talk to tribal citizens about what the needs are in their communities, not trying to force um, our own agenda on them. And I feel like when you go into tribal communities and you speak to them, there's been so much trust broken, um, especially with those who are non-native. And so it starts there. It starts with building trust. But there's a lot of other risk factors that we need to consider Um, like those things that are historically and currently happening. Okay, so you're talking about um, when you go to these communities and you're asking them what they need, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you're told? Like, what do they need? Mm -hmm. So it depends on the community because each tribe is its own tribe. 
Um, so the needs are going to be different no matter who you're talking to. Um, but a lot of it is um, not having proper access to health care. So here in Oklahoma or the metro, I can go to a hospital or an urgent recovery center, an inpatient facility, recovery center within maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes the max. Um, but we're seeing in rural communities, it's an, hour, hour, an average of two hours away from home to get access to proper mental health um, resources, to uh, recovery resources, <clears throat> excuse me, to behavioral health services. So there's just limited access when we're in rural communities. Okay. Um, and there's also sometimes even more community though People know each other in small communities. Mm -hmm. So we really hear different needs um, of people who are homeless or uh, the unhoused population don't have adequate resources. Um, there's, again, there's poverty, poverty that can happen. Um, but oftentimes it's just not having proper access to healthcare um, despite all the disparities that we're seeing. Some of these laws that you were saying or bills that were introduced, mm -hmm. are you talking about like the um, access to gender affirming care or are you talking about like more like Native American specific? It was more things. gender affirming care. Okay. Um, specifically targeting, targeting um, our two-spirit LGBTQ community. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had not heard that term two-spirit until I moved to Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And so for maybe those who, because we're getting a broader audience, can you explain a little bit about what two-spirit is and what, what that identifier is and why it's important to include? I'll do my best. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things in talking to people who are two-spirit, it's described differently. Okay. Um, but from some friends who I have who um, identify as two-spirit, um, what it is, it's the inclusion of your of tribal culture and knowledge and um, the things that are celebrated. Those things aren't lost despite what population or community you identify with. Mm -hmm. And so it's saying, this is who I am. And Two-Spirit is saying, I'm, I'm kind of walking in my uh, spirit of, of how I was created. Um, and also um, the other spirit is more about who I identify with. And so that may be LGBTQ community, um, but it's saying, no, I'm still my same person. I'm still um, native. I'm still indigenous, um, but I also walk in like two spirits and two worlds in a way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that kind of leads us right into the next question. Okay. Um, according to 988lifeline.org, having a sense of belonging to one's culture or a strong tribal and spiritual bond can be helpful to those having suicidal ideations. Mm -hmm. Can you expand even more than you have already <laughs> and give us more information on why this is helpful to Native Americans? I think a sense of cultural belonging is important for any community. Um, but when we're talking about indigenous populations, again, going back to the root of the problem that we first discussed, um, those things were removed. And so being able to celebrate those things, being able to um, have the sovereignty and respect for, for cultural knowledge and language, um, because as you said, even over the years, cultural language has been lost. Mm -hmm. um, more recently, we're seeing tribes who are providing access, language classes, and um, when I was out at a tribe, um, youth wanted to get to language classes, but they didn't have transportation in the rural community I was working in. So we worked with tribal elders, we worked with tribal leaders, and we said, hey, youth are wanting to know more about their, their culture and their language, because sometimes adults don't feel like they are, like they're so disconnected from their cultural identity, okay. but some youth just don't know how to go about learning more about it. Um, sometimes tribal elders who are passing away aren't there to pass down that wisdom and those, uh, the language and stories. Um, and so we're seeing more youth and young adults wanting to um, reconnect 
with their culture and reconnect with their language. And so we're trying to reduce some of those, those gaps and barriers that prevent them from doing that. So we were able to provide transportation and they started going to weekly language right. classes. Um, and, but, we, but we also noticed an increase in their mood and your, your identity is who you are. Yeah. You know, um, whether it's cultural related or not, it's, it's who we are no matter where we go. And so there's so much confusion, especially in adolescence, right? Trying to figure out who you are and who you're not. We see it, right, right as yeah, adults. Yeah. And we're like, that, that was us. And even as adults, sometimes we have that identity kind of crisis. Um, so it starts young. It starts saying, um, how, how can we connect um, tribal citizens um, back to their language and culture that we know is so important? That before was never a question before genocide happened, before removal of land and, and culture and those things were removed, it was never a question because that was just the way of life every day. And so it's saying, how can we reconnect? And so we are seeing um, there's kind of a theme of culture is prevention. Um, and so with that, it's more than just a saying. It's saying culture is the thing. Culture is the protective factor that can reduce suicide rates in tribal communities. Culture is prevention. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, and so how can we as fellow Oklahomans mm -hmm. better support our Native American neighbors? I think that's a great question. I think it's probably one of the most important questions is because despite the past, we can't change history, but we can change the future. And so what that consists of is like we were talking about respecting tribal sovereignty. Um, again, wanting to make sure that our own leadership respects tribal sovereignty. Um, and so, but it's also about asking the questions, what can I do to help? You don't have to identify and be a tribal citizen to be an ally. You know, it takes, it's saying, what can I do to help? Yeah. And so just being curious, um, but also allowing yourself to be uncomfortable in situations that may, may be vulnerable for us to want to talk about. Um, it's not that we walk up to strangers and say, hey, how can we help reduce suicide rates, right? Mm -hmm. It's saying, what can we do to help? What are the needs? And people will, will talk to you about the needs, but we also have to build the trust to have the conversation about what the needs are and how we can better support tribal communities. Um, oftentimes people go in, even in suicide prevention, um, go in with their own agenda, maybe with the right intentions, but with the wrong approach. Because we can't go into tribal communities with our own agenda thinking that we know what to do. They don't need any saviors. They yeah. just need maybe someone, again, allies and people to listen. Youth need, and studies show, that having just one trusted safe adult can reduce their suicide rates, especially in our LGBTQ community who have higher rates of suicide. And studies show that even just asking them their pronouns can reduce suicide rates by 40%. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So, again, just being curious, but curious in a healthy way, curious in a respectful way. Um, we also need more information, training, um, and knowledge about what suicide prevention really is. Yeah. Um, so I go around the state and I do suicide prevention training. I'll do it for universities, for schools, public schools, non public, um, for, of course, tribal communities, um, for anyone who just wants to know about the warning signs. Um, people want to know about the risk factors. But more importantly, we want to increase help-seeking behaviors. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, how can we encourage youth and adults to seek help when they're in crisis, to seek help before there's a crisis? I think as a community, we need to be more proactive than reactive. And that will definitely start to shift, um, not just suicide rates, because of course we want that to yeah. be low for, for everyone, because we know one suicide is, is too many. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it, it's having these kind of roundtable discussions where people feel heard, where they feel validated, um, and just saying, what can I do to help? 
So I'd say that's a big part of what you're already doing. Yeah, well, well, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're trying, we're trying. You know, and yeah, um, you know, I think it's a really great distinction that you made is how can I help? You mm -hmm. know, not trying to push on somebody like, this is what I think. Because right. you said sometimes people go in to help, but with their own mm -hmm. agenda, mm -hmm. you know, and that creates probably more harm than it does good, right? I would assume. You know, um, and also I like how you encourage just being curious, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I grew up, we grew up in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, so in elementary school, you know, a lot of my classmates were Native American and mm -hmm. we did a lot of things that were, you know, honoring, you know, what was around us. And I thought it was so cool. Like mm -hmm. we went to crazy horse explosions <laughs> when they were carving it out. And I was like, this is so cool. This is awesome. You know, and just I think sometimes maybe, or this is what I've heard from people, is like you don't want to seem, because a hot button topic is cultural appropriation, right? Mm -hmm. So just for people to be aware, like going to a powwow as a non-Native American, if it's a public powwow, that's that's mm -hmm. appropriate to do, right? It's, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, if it's public. Yes. Um, I still say error on the side of invitation. Yeah, um, okay. But we will see things posted. I know certain tribes, especially larger tribes, may post something on social media. Yeah. When that happens, that's for everyone. Okay. And yes, um, smaller tribes sometimes have their own smaller traditions, and not every tribe, you know, not every tribe does powwows. Yes. Um, and so each tribe has its own way of celebrating um, their own culture. And so oftentimes, especially for smaller tribes, it's an invitation that you need. Um, and so that just says, hey, if I get an invitation, I can go. Um, and then that also shows that there's community being built, right? That there's, they're saying you're an ally, you may not be native, but we're gonna invite you to this um, celebration. Um, and so, yeah, it just takes sometimes just an invitation and other things that are more on a public basis, you can show up. Okay. Um, but I say always show up with an open mind yeah. because it's not going to be probably what you think. Um, it's not always what you see on social media and TV exactly. and in movies. Um, and so it's whatever that tribe celebrates it to be. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, that's good to point that out because mm -hmm. yes, media can sometimes take something and misconstrue it right. and you have a stereotype that's not even how it is in real life. Exactly. But so that is one way that, especially youth, like, right? Like we can mm -hmm. just, like you're saying, building community, being mm -hmm. an ally, 40% um, is decrease on just asking somebody's pronouns. Mm -hmm. That's a really big decrease. I did not know that statistic. And before we wrap it up, um, is there anything else you would like to talk about um, before we wrap up? Like anything mm -hmm. that you think we missed or that you want to point out or anything at all? Yeah, thank you. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, so thank it, you for yeah, having thank me. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. I, I do. I, I thought to, to talk about suicide prevention and not include, you know, safety measures, right? How can we keep people safe? Mm -hmm. Um, would kind of be an injustice to suicide prevention. So I thought about that on the way here. Um, so I didn't give you a heads up, but if I may expand on yes. that. Um, so one of the things that we want to talk about too, and this is what we train on when we're doing suicide prevention in communities, is ways to keep people safe. Um, and often that starts at home. And so we call it reducing access to lethal means. So the majority of especially youth and young people who are the topic today mm -hmm. um, gain access to uh, medications um, at home, but over 30% is from a friend's house. Okay. So I always tell adults, don't let your house be that friend's house. So that means safely storing medication through lock boxes, through um, safe disposal of unused medications, mm -hmm. um, making sure that access has been removed. 
um, because we see poisoning rates increasing with our youth and young adults um, population. Okay. And so it's often a, a method or a means for, sui for a suicide attempt. Um, and then firearms, um, which, yes, we see that a lot. Yeah. Um, but we have to remember that more suicides happen nationally than homicides. But we don't see that when we turn on the TV. Um, and so we also need to normalize a conver conversation around suicide so that it's not so taboo so we can reduce the stigma around it because it's prevalent. Um, it's the second leading cause of death here in, here in Oklahoma mm -hmm. for youth and young adults, um, even up to age 34. Yep. So we know we have ways to go, and that's only second to accidents. And so we need to continue to educate people. So removing access, putting gun safety locks on our guns, um, putting them safely stored in houses. If we have youth who are at risk for suicide or made previous attempts, um, ones that are the warning signs are kind of adding up that we, you know, your kind of spidey senses are picking up. Sometimes it's just best to have um, firearms stored somewhere else outside of the home. Not everybody wants to do that because we know that that might make people feel like we're kind of lowering um, our security at home, which okay. is understandable, but we can at least make sure that they are safely stored yeah. um, because far too many youth, even young youth, even elementary age youth are getting access to guns. Okay. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that. So oftentimes we partner with tribal police or uh, non-tribal police departments um, to get access to gun locks because sometimes they can get those for free. Okay. So when we're doing community outreach, we have them on our tables, people come by and they grab them. And so we know that even just through community outreach, those are ways that we can truly prevent suicide just by helping people feel more safe and equip their, their homes to be safer. Um, so again, safely storing medication and weapons and then other, other means that we know are like, this could be. So if you think it could be a means, then we want to say, safely put it up somewhere. Okay. So okay, just yeah. doing things like that by removing access um, can really reduce suicide. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't let your house be that house. That's, mm -hmm. I, don't know. I do not have children, so I wouldn't even think mm -hmm. of something like that. But that's mm -hmm. a very good point to point out. And also you said, how, so how can somebody try to help make the conversation about suicide less um, taboo? Because mm -hmm. I know personally and through talking to friends and just other people, mm -hmm. sometimes you're afraid if you open up and tell somebody how you're feeling, mm -hmm. suicidal or something, the first thing that's gonna happen is, oh, I'm gonna be locked up, mm -hmm. right? right? So how can people personally or professionally try to make the conversation about suicide less taboo? I would say on a personal level, um, you meet people where they are. And what I often encourage people is I ask them this question, what helped you? Or what did you need when you were in a moment of either a crisis or you were just having kind of a bad day, month, year, whatever that is, right? We as adults know we've had stressors, we've had maybe loss, we've had significant things in our life that have truly affected us. Mm -hmm. So I just say, well, what helped you? And when we kind of pause and think, maybe it was just someone saying, hey, Sheila, what do you need? Yeah. I have a really good friend who asked me that because that was a question I didn't ask myself because I was always asking everyone else. Okay. And so... What I needed is, often, is also what I ask other people, what, what do you need in this moment? And often it's a non-judgmental ear to listen. Yeah. And so it's holding space. You don't have to have the answers to fix it. And as adults, we often want to fix it because truly we don't want anyone to be at risk for suicide. No. We don't want anyone to attempt. Um, so there's a lot of anxiety, right? And I say that's normal. Even as a clinician who has training in suicide, when I'm sitting across a client and they're at risk, I still get anxiety about it. 
Um, but I try to be calm, I try to peer that way, and I try to just listen and hold space. The resources and the connection to resources will come. Um, but if we don't open up the lines of communication to let us be uncomfortable so that someone who may be thinking about suicide can feel comfortable, then we're doing it all wrong. So again, it's more just saying, hey, I've noticed something, something seems different. Um, if it's a coworker, and by the way, studies show that we're more likely to lose a coworker to suicide than we are an active shooter. Okay. And so, yeah. So when you see something that's just off, state what that behavior is that you're noticing that has changed. Okay. Um, so if I worked with you and maybe you're showing up late or maybe you missed a deadline on projects or um, maybe you're just taking off, it could be different things or feel, feel distracted. Those are the things I would state that I observe to let that person know that one, they're, they're seen, someone's paying attention, um, which probably makes anyone feel good. I Right, yeah, I was just gonna yeah. say, yeah. Yeah, when someone's like, oh, I've noticed these things, we do feel seen. Um, and at the end of the day, a lot of us just just need that. And so it's saying, hey, I noticed these things, is there anything I can do to help? And if they say no, that's okay, it, respect that. Yeah. Um, and say, hey, but if you need me, I'm here. And maybe it's an exchange of a phone number, maybe it's an exchange of, just sitting in someone's space and being with them. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> okay. Um, no, that's right. Uh, thank you for sharing that and just mm-hmm. going so in depth on all of these things are so important. Um, our last guest, uh, Shelly Smart, she uh, uh, lost her son to um, <clears throat> suicide, okay. and she really advocated for exactly what you're saying conversation mm-hmm. having conversation can really just make a world of difference sometimes and making people feel seen mm-hmm. i personally think that's one thing all humans across the board no matter what we look like who we are we just want to feel mm-hmm. seen by people so yeah. sorry it made me a little emotional because no, i think okay. you're really right Aww, making you. people feel seen is very important um yeah. And before we go, I just really want to thank you so much for the time and your dedication for everything you're doing, all the knowledge you shared. And I know that you said you're training. So if there's someone watching this Mm -hmm. um, that's a professional or even if they just would like to know more about suicide prevention Mm -hmm. training, can they contact you or how would someone who wants to learn from you um, about that get in touch? Yeah, and thank you. That was a great question. And you're human to have those emotions, right? (laughs) Um, it's not an easy topic to discuss sometimes, um, or sometimes anytime. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, to, if someone wants to contact me, that's, I would love that. So I still do consultation and provide okay. training. Um, again, my passion has come with me. Um, so you can contact me at 405-761-9183. Um, and so there's also training through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We have an Oklahoma chapter. Okay. Um, so I'm a board member of that. And we have volunteers who also provide training. But Talk Saves Lives, it's a free training. It's about a one-hour training. Um, So oftentimes people are like, well, can you come during my lunch break? Or can you do it virtually? Can you do it in person? So I'll accommodate people's schedule just to make sure that they're getting basic warning signs, risk factors, but more importantly, how to help someone if they're in need. Um, And again, that's free. There's also support groups for lost survivors for those who have lost someone. Um, There's also support groups for attempt survivors. Um, but, and then for mental health professionals, I provide, uh, 
I provide consultation um, whenever they have clients who may be at risk for suicide and just, again, need additional um, information or support, um, training, whatever that may be for them. Again, because we don't get a lot of that training as yeah. we go through it. Um, so whatever I can do to provide that support, that's what I want to do. And then um, psychology today, you can just search for my name and I'll come up there and okay. my address and location is listed on that as well. Okay, great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And um, if you don't mind, send me that uh Nonprofit info, right? Okay. Or is that, mm -hmm. is that yeah, nonprofit? Great. nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And I'll put it all in the description of this podcast so that okay. people can look for it themselves and reach out to you. And again, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. And Likewise. just thank you. And uh, to everyone watching, thank you very much. This is the lovely Sheila Williams, and we will see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. Thank you again to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. And for any information on our trainings or our events, please visit www.autismfoundationok.org or follow us on social media platforms at Autism Foundation OK. As always, thank you so much and we'll see you next time.